Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Virtu e Fortuna, or Virtue and Fortune. Directed by Richard J. Lewis, written by Robert Patino and Ron Fitzgerald. IMDb is giving this an 8.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. Quite the welcome. So this is weird, though, because IMDb is going down with their ratings, whereas Rotten Tomatoes is going up. I think I'm going to side with Rotten Tomatoes. I know it's not a popular sentiment, but this has been my favorite episode so far. I feel like they keep getting better and better. I'm right on board with you. I think this is my favorite episode so far this season, which I believe that's what you meant. Yes. I believe I understand the dichotomy between the two websites. Some people on the internet did not like this episode because there was not enough puzzles and if they felt like the story didn't get pushed forward. And others liked it because it was a break from the puzzles. There was some action. And actually, I think the story was pushed forward because we're starting to see what the hell Dolores was talking about in her half sentences. <laughs> so we're on that train. We liked it. You know, it doesn't all have to be four timelines with puzzles littered through it. I think with a show like this, with so much mystery, so many questions, you do need an occasional episode like this to just set the scene and get you back up to speed with where you're at. One of the critics said, this episode exposes the show's playful side as it expands its borders to explore exciting new territory, though its plotting plot continues to frustrate. I think that shows both sides of it. But we've gotten quite enough questions for this season. I'm eager to see the moments where they're going to start to answer those questions. And I feel like the groundwork was laid here. We might not understand all of it. I think in episode 10, we're going to look back and see how this was the beginning of solving the mystery. Oh, absolutely. They're already starting to solve the questions, but also introducing new questions, which I don't mind. I really don't mind that. They solved the question of where that Bengal tiger came from. From episode one. How many parks are there? What's going to be in some of those parks? And then out of nowhere, we learned about another park. We thought for sure, okay, we're going to learn Shogun and then hopefully maybe we'll learn a new one this season, but maybe not next this season, maybe next season. Yeah, they jumped right to park six, the Raj, which we were told the Bengal tiger came from park six. We didn't know anything else about it. Now we got a glimpse into that. But they also introduced new questions. Who's this new character who obviously is important? They started an episode with her, and they ended an episode with her. And I have a lot to talk about when it comes to this unnamed woman, but we'll get to that. As well as how are these parks connected? The very last scene with Maeve, Hector, and Lee brings up some thoughts about have we actually entered into Shogun World, or are the people from Shogun World here? Either way, I think they're a lot more connected than we initially thought. It's all on the same island, and maybe the borders between them aren't quite so firm. Well, that's because Trump hasn't been there yet. Oh, dear. (laughs) Let's talk for a minute about the title. We went over this in episode one, but it wasn't our spoiler section. So if you were afraid of that and didn't venture into it, we discussed the meaning behind the Italian or Latin, both virtu and fortuna, what those terms mean, how they correspond to each other. This all comes from Machiavelli's The Prince and the philosophical problems he raises 
It talks about Fortuna, the goddess of luck or fortune, which was derived from classic Roman mythology, where she was often portrayed in a positive light. She was fickle and uncertain, but also the bringer of good luck and abundance. Fickle and uncertain. She was a Libra, like me. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And later, Christian philosophers t- turned that on its head and focused on her dark side, her ability to dash human hope and ambition. Her symbol was the turning wheel, which people rode to the top only to be thrown to the bottom at the next turning. And I thought that was interesting given one of Peter Abernathy's lines, this episode from King Lear, I'm bound upon a wheel of fire. She was supposed to embody all of the transitory glory of this world that the thoughtful Christian must seek to transcend by focusing on the unchangeable gods of virtue and faith. So not to rely upon that. You needed to build better aspects here so that you could have a better life in the valley beyond, so to speak. And maybe this is where our Greek and Roman mythology intersects with some of the Christian symbolism we've been seeing. They believed eternal glory, which is so funny, it takes from all the words that are right here in our episodes, was found through virtue, the human energy or action that stands in opposition to fortune. This is drive, talent, or ability directed toward the achievement of goals and the most vital quality. Machiavelli was of two minds about this, though. He says people can only act according to their natures, and people are not flexible enough to alter their nature. So basically, we are just like hosts. While technically, we have the ability to exercise free will and make our own choices, because our builds, our constructs are so fixed and static, we can't really go outside of that too much. Yeah, that's something we definitely went into two episodes ago. Yes. And since then, I've been thinking about that. Waking up every morning, going to the gym, not because I really want to, (laughs) but because I have to, to try to cling on to my young times. So you're stuck on your loop is what you're saying. Then I go to the same Starbucks every day, order the same coffee, go to the same office, turn on the same computer, type in the same name, and on and on and on. Well, so he says, because a prince can neither choose his nature nor change it, free will is illusory. And virtue, for all its admirability, begins to look like a cruel trick played by a god, Fortuna, or some other uncontrollable force on mankind. And we talked about how that might bring humans and hosts closer into alignment. I know there was a lot of discussion in this episode around, are these hosts really awakening? We've been talking about that for a while. How will we know? What are the cues? One of the biggest moments for Maeve seemed to be her relationship with Hector, right? This was something organic that wasn't supposed to be programmed into either one of them. And Lee seems to kind of dash that a little bit in the scene by showing that they're still going along with their narrative script. I have some thoughts maybe otherwise that we'll talk about when we get there. And there also might be some clues that Dolores is not entirely as woke as she seems. But again, that's something we've been saying for a while now. Yes, absolutely. Let's go into a few fun facts. Earlier last week, before this episode came out, we went to a website we frequent during the season, delosdestination.com. And if you haven't gone there, you got to check it out. It's pretty fun. You might not be aware because there's actually three different connecting websites that link to Westworld, discoverwestworld.com, Delos Destinations, and Delos Incorporated. We're going to bring you up to speed with all of those in depth later on in the cast. And beyond that, there's also the newsletters that you can become a part of. And actually, that's what I'm referring to, the newsletter that we got. One of the links went to this really cool web page where it's kind of a 3D room that you can navigate, and there's dots all over the place. Some of them are non-functional, 
as of yet, but others you can click and you get videos or you get file data. And the one I'm talking about specifically is the Abernathy.mp4. Yes, which doesn't follow the logical sequencing of the other videos. This one actually isn't a video, even though it's titled MP4, but it gives you the MP4 data. One would say it would be the metadata within the file. There's a bit of numbers and letters with a semicolon dash s logging colon hail underscore Charlotte. Biometrics returned false. Override. Then we have a little bit more code preceded by new user profile generated and admin colon find Peter Abernathy. So I believe this is referring to the code, the little bit of code that was written on top of Peter's main code, which Bernard refers to in this episode. Yeah, they say they sort of give him this thin makeshift personality just so that he'd be able to walk around and store this data he was trying to transport. It was never meant to really hold up, which is, I guess, why he's glitching out and reverting to former builds now. He's essentially a travel camel. Yeah. If you think of it that way. But in this case, he wasn't able to go directly to his destination. But also there is, in this file, a logo that we will go into later on in this podcast. Yeah, well, throughout the episode, because it comes up repeatedly. But just touching on things from last week, the remaining videos in the schematic, you can follow along by sequence. They have a long number sequence and then ending in 3456.mp4. I think this was just to reiterate the order in which the timeline is supposed to be viewed from our first two episodes. The thing that comes first, the first video, is when William convinces Delos to invest in Westworld. And he takes him to the park and they have that whole conversation about how they can use it for business purposes. The second is when William and Delos are talking at the retirement party and Dolores is frozen at the piano. The third is when William has the conversation with Dolores about her being a thing. And the fourth and final, William telling Dolores about where the weapon is stored. What all of these have in common is that Dolores seems to either be frozen offline or not fully taking in what's being told to her, where in fact we know that she has been remembering all of that and saving it up. This is part of her revenge scheme now for how she's going to get back at them. And of course, this is accompanied by a letter from Delos Inc., telling us they're sure we've heard about the viral outbreaks at the park, and as such, traffic between the mainland and the island has been suspended. The operating staff has assured them the situation is under control, and they're doing their best to support them as they continue to enclose on the contagion. They will not be sending reinforcements at this time. Now, we have a lot more to go over as far as their websites are concerned, but we're going to save that to the end of the podcast, where we have a little extras section. But before we go into the rest of this episode... One thing to check out is DelosDestination.com. For the longest time, they did show you six parks, but only Westworld was actually showing an image Mm -hmm. and was clickable. After last night's episode, we now see Shogun World, which still isn't clickable, which makes sense because we haven't seen it yet, but we do see a photo. You see a photo with an explanation. For those whom Westworld is not enough, the true connoisseur of gore can indulge their fantasies with the slash of a katana. Modeled after Japan's Edo period, Shogun World offers a chance for guests to embrace the inner warrior in a landscape of highest beauty and darkest horror. Let your true self take shape in the land where self-discovery is an art form. Ooh, that's probably someplace I'd go to. I think the end of this season and the end of every season, because we're definitely not going to see all six parks, I think it'd be fun to discuss what park we would go to if we were only allowed to go to one. Yeah. But pressing on, park number three, four, and five are still blank. 
But park number six now has a photo, a beautiful photo, by the way, and it has a title, The Raj. If being pampered by our world-class spa isn't your cup of Darjeeling tea, the park's jungles and mountain area are your only chance to glimpse magnificent beasts long vanished from your world. And that one is actually clickable, although at this point it just takes you to a bigger photo and it's glitching a little bit right now. So us viewers know that the cradle is down. That could possibly be the main reason why we're getting those glitches. But coming back to this episode three, for music notes... We were excited to hear Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes, although the sitar version. Okay, this is something I have to stop doing, especially when we're watching a show that we're taking notes and we have to concentrate, is freaking out over the music and just listening to that and talking over it. Like, Christina, do you realize what song that is? (laughs) And then I start humming the real song. Before we knew it, I had to rewind because we missed the whole scene. And that's why some people are frustrated with the modern music, because they say it takes them out of it. But I think Ramin Jawadi is doing an excellent job of incorporating that into the feel of every location. Absolutely. And with this song in particular, it made me remember this song and remember how much I enjoyed it. And then listen to this version and be like, wow, I like this one a lot too. Yeah. And while the lyrics are on the nose, I think they're perfectly fitting. For the plot going on here. The lyrics. What are the lyrics? Can you sing it for me? I will not sing it, but I will read it. I'm going to fight them all. A seven nation army couldn't hold me back. They're going to rip it off, taking their time right behind my back. And I'm talking to myself at night because I can't forget back and forth through my mind. And the message coming from my eyes says, leave it alone. And if I catch it coming back my way, I'm going to serve it to you. That ain't what you want to hear, but that's what I'll do. Okay, Dolores, (laughs) we got a couple of new faces and places. We talked about those from our park number six. We're introduced to a man and a woman. The man's name is Nicholas. I know they don't say them during the episode. He's played by Neil Jackson. And the woman is Grace, played by Katja Herbers. She is described as a seasoned guest whose latest visit comes at the park's darkest hour. And we'll definitely get into these characters. I'm, I'm very intrigued of what your thoughts are with them. We heard a lot about, but got to meet and see more of Colonel Brigham this episode, played by Friedrich Len. In addition to Park 6, we saw Fort Forlorn Hope, and we should have known exactly what was going to go down there just based on the name. Fort Forlorn Hope. That was very intriguing to me, because I was like, Forlorn? That doesn't sound like a really cool place to be. So just to remind you, forlorn means pitifully sad, abandoned, or lonely. Yeah, (laughs) all hope is lost here, you could say. And it makes sense because the set build, I watched a video about it, the details they went through to make this set was basically the walls are broken from cannons and, you know, everything is in disarray. It's really not a good fort. There's kind of a gray, washed out feeling to it all, although... I did not expect Dolores to completely turn on them the way she did. That was a surprise to me. I don't know why it should be with everything that's going on with her, but it still worked. Well, what sucks is it's one thing to think she turned on them out of the heat of the moment, but the fact that she planned this out. Oh, yeah. And this was part of the plan the whole freaking time. That's what's insane to me. Mm -hmm. Wyatt, indeed. Uh, Yeah, we've been saying that for a while. Is this her doing what she in fact wants to do as a new person or is she just continuing along with Ford's old script acting as the Wyatt character and there's even reference to that in this episode. You know what I should save this but I gotta say this before I forget. So the main argument or the main 
theories that we're going off of this season is, are they woke or are they not? I'm really starting to believe that Ford is more of a genius than we had given him credit for. Mm-hmm. There's so much that he's done that we don't know yet, but we're starting to see glimpses of it. He's playing with the man in black, which we didn't see this episode. And I believe this whole game is, like I believe I said a couple episodes ago, the new narrative that everyone's been pushing him to make. Yeah, he called it his final narrative. narrative. So if these memories are coming out, out of a code word, these violent delights have violent ends. Yeah, purposefully, that he initially kicked off with Peter Abernathy. Memories are starting to come back. I think that's on purpose, to allow them to remember some things that he wants them to. But let's take that a step further. I don't even think these are real memories. I don't think, and this is out of left field, I might change my mind in five minutes. I don't think Dolores actually left the park. Oh, really? I think that's a fake memory. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I do think that the whole shenanigans between Ford and Arnold, their differing viewpoints on the host was probably real. I don't have any evidence to show me otherwise yet. I think that Arnold was up to things with his favorite host that maybe he didn't bring Ford totally privy into because Ford already knew he was playing favorites. But I think that Ford continually disagreed with Delos, the board. They bought into this because they needed the financial backing, but they always had their own plans in place, their own thing going on there Mm -hmm. that Ford was kind of hiding from them. His main plans weren't the business aspect of it and selling the information, everything else that James Delos was doing with it. And this is his ultimate FU. I don't know where he winds up wanting this narrative to end, what Mm -hmm. the big point of it all is and how he's going to go against the board, but I do believe that's what's happening. Let me ask you this. Has any of the humans in the clips that are referring to the past, have they ever said the name Arnold? Is there any proof that there actually was an Arnold? Yeah, I know this is talked about was that Ford's creation and Bernard all along. Wait, someone else? I was coming up with this on the spot. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of been talk about did an Arnold ever truly exist? I don't know how that changes it is what I'm going to say right now. Well, he always talks about the need for past memories to be put into these systems. This is just an elaborate past memory for Bernard and for Dolores. Yeah, I mean, I can follow that because we did talk about how Ford, his main purpose in building Bernard was to find that which he could not obtain with the other hosts thus far. The human engineers weren't up to the task of giving him true emotions, a rainbow of the human experience. And by creating this incredibly intense cornerstone, backstory, suffering, everything that he gave to him, he was able to get to the human heart with Bernard in a way he wasn't with anyone else. But I think that suffering has to be real. And if it wasn't Arnold's backstory, it was somebody else's that he put in there to make it real for him. It might be his. We did see some of Ford's background, the host that he created for himself to mimic that in the park. I don't... I don't know yet. I don't either. I I really legit was just coming up with that on the spot. (laughs) So uh, it's just fun. It's the fun part of this. I don't want to take this podcast so seriously where we're afraid to say anything out of the ordinary. Let me say this. I think it's more interesting for me if Arnold was a real human. Because we've been surmising the ultimate goal could be for people to download their consciousness into a host 
or to find some way to make that be a truer replication of themselves. That way they can live forever, which is kind of what we think we heard Logan talking about last episode. That sounds like the kind of thing that Ford could have had as a real intention for the hosts. And I think Arnold and Bernard being the test, the way that he finally got there is very interesting. If Bernard was a host all along, you don't really have that at play. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I think there's some really interesting angles they can take this as well. But uh, who, who knows? Let's not go too far down there. Well, there is going to be more with Bernard this episode. We'll dissect in detail the passenger file, the one that he was breaking the encryption to get into stored inside of Peter Abernathy. Sorry to derail us. <laughs> That's all right. Let's just jump right in then because we have another cold open, which shows us all of Park 6. Park 6 looks like colonial era India. We see Nicholas and Grace meeting each other, both there presumably to hunt Bengals. Nicholas describes how the edge of the park is a bit mad and dangerous, much like Westworld. While the two speak, the governor extends an invitation for Nicholas to join him, but he declines, showing us that both of these guests are some high-level VIPs, maybe akin to the man in black or someone of a similar stature within this park. And for sure they've been there many times. They felt very comfortable, very aware of what's going on. No longer mesmerized. Yeah, and they know what the they is about too, right? He remarks on how they don't want the two of them talking to each other. They're supposed to steer them towards one of the hosts or a sure thing, but he misses taking his chances the first time we see humans there looking for other humans. Not just something real, like the man in black is searching for, but a human experience. It's too easy. Yeah. And I guess you do it often enough, it's no longer fun. Where's the challenge? And Grace goes so far as to needing to test him by shooting him in the chest, and he agrees, um, somewhat reluctantly. <laughs> I think it was fitting that they had this scene one episode after you and I reviewed the bullets and what the bullets did to real humans in the past before the things went to hell. Yeah. Yeah, very clear example of that. But you know what? That's What if you got shot in the face? Which I thought she was shooting him in the <laughs> face at first. I was like, man, that's really extreme. He's going to take an eye out. For sure, you can lose an eye. Yeah. That looked like a big enough wound that it could hurt anywhere. You get hit in the wrong spot in the face, you could die. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people are pointing to the fact that he didn't test her. She wasn't shot. So how do we know she's really a human? But I think from the scenes we see later, everything she's uncovering behind the park, she is either a guest searching for something the way the man in black is or some kind of person within the board, a Charlotte Hale, who's trying to get to the bottom of things. I think she's someone who is going to become very important. Not meaning that she won't die, but I think the information we'll learn from her will be very important. Like you said, she's seeking information. We see later on in her folder, when she opens it up, there's that logo again. Her journal. We have a lot to learn from her. Yeah, and it starts right away. Her awareness. The two of them the next day ride elephants to a campsite from which they're going to set off hunting the next morning. She checks her journal where she has this hand-drawn map Looks like she has a site she's aiming for. It's marked with a symbol, that of two overlapping hexagons at what looks like the southern edge of the park. So we pulled up a picture. It basically just looks like markings, the major areas like we have with Westworld, the topography, but at the very edge, there's that symbol. And I think those edges that we're seeing now are where the different parks connect. So at the edge here, there's the sea, which she'll end up traveling across and it takes her to Westworld. 
at the northernmost edge of Westworld, potentially you have an intersect with Shogun World. We'll get there later. But there's got to be more to it than that because we see the image again several times throughout the episode. Last episode, when Charlotte Hale was logging into the computer system. Season one, uh, episode one. Sorry, two episodes ago, when she was logging in and she was with Bernard and they figured out the rescue team is not coming till they get their information. On the panel where she was logging in is that same symbol. Many times. And we said at the top of this episode, on their website, they have that symbol many times. And finally, when Bernard later goes into the passenger file, it comes really big up across the top of the screen when he's looking up the info from Peter Abernathy. Via the USB into Abernathy. (laughs) The hard port, yeah. Um, Let me just say this now because, again, I will forget. To stay on Grace and how important I think she is, she, at the end of the episode, survived the water, and she's picked up by the Ghost Nation tribe, reminiscent of... Elsie. Yep. Yeah, and so this has people wondering, is the Ghost Nation tribe good? We don't actually see them hurting people while they appear threatening and menacing. They are continually taking people in, humans. It was very apparent when the Ghost Nation stopped the three of them, Hector, Maeve, and Lee. They only wanted Lee. So do they have some kind of primary objective to remove humans that are in danger? Kind of an extension of the Good Samaritan reflex? Wow. Or... Even deeper than that, are they some sort of private undercover security host system that Ford had in place? Wow. And so they would remove those people, bring them back, and this was a way for Ford to get his information. And maybe that's the secret location, the weapon. That would make sense because it's more dangerous out there. And you only see them in spurts. They don't speak much, although we did hear them speak. Lakota. Yes, their own language. And so again... Maeve's commands might not have worked on them because she's speaking them in a different language or because Ford had them programmed differently. They don't respond to the same commands. So they're like the on-site police in the dangerous part of the world. That's interesting. I wonder. But Ford's private system, as soon as I heard that, I immediately loved it because it all adds up to me. Do you think she'll meet up with Elsie? I think we got to see Elsie again, and that's a great segue. So to keep our tinfoil hat on, because that's... (laughs) There's as much as that's as far <laughs> as we could go with the information we've been given. Mm-hmm. And even that is a stretch. But trying to think of who Grace could be. Could it be a daughter of Ford? Yeah, people are saying the man in black. What the hell? Well, I got to tell you what's out there, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess. They're saying that she seems to be acting very similarly trying to follow the breadcrumbs, the clues. We know that she really held it against her father after her mother died, his obsession with the park and the fact that these beings could be coming to an awakening. But after she goes a couple times, starts to dig deeper, does she find, oh, maybe he was onto something or maybe this will lead me to his journey. I don't know. I like the man in black as the daughter more than what I was just pulling out of my ass. That might be right. Yeah. I dig it. There's no other people. When I come up with uh, ideas, they're completely, the no one else has thought has of it. scoured no, it. No one else to has death, thought of it. man. I <laughs> mean, it. it's pretty hard. I just want to, <laughs> I want to give credit where credit's due. No, I know. Because I, nothing's more frustrating than when we bring up ideas 
and someone else says it, yeah, as though it's their own idea. And yeah, of course, I mean, we're all going to kind of organically come to some of these conclusions. And I think that's the hallmark of a good show because they're putting in enough seeds that even if it's not an idea that comes true, it's the line of thinking we should be on. And so that's why I like that. I kind of try to read up on all this stuff and I know, but you have the ideas organically. I do that on purpose. I don't want to listen to other podcasts. I do read the synopsis on the website. Mm-hmm. I do my research on the website. I don't go to Reddit. I don't go to... There's a few blogs that I go to because I know that they're not going to... Give spoilers. Exactly. I want to be in the know. I do my homework, but I don't want to overdig and not have my own theories, which apparently sometimes they're not my own, <laughs> but... but- They still are, and that's what I mean. Because you didn't read about it, you came to that naturally the way other people are coming to it naturally. And I think that's how we know that we're onto something. It's like one big community brain think. Maybe we're logged in together with a mesh network. I like that, yeah. Well, our mesh network is our Clatchers. And they they write in, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or via Twitter at CKC Podcast, and they give us their theories. That's really fun. I like to read those. Yeah, we got some good thoughts later that we'll get into. But man, let's get through this cold open because we haven't even finished this stuff with Grace. She immediately realizes there's something wrong at this encampment because there's no other host there to entertain, to cook. She opens the bedroom tent and finds dead guests. Their host, Ganju, tells them these violent delights have violent ends. So the trigger phrase is being used across parks, not just in Westworld. Do you think that is being spread through the mesh network? I don't know. Did he set this off across parks? Does he even have the ability to do that, Ford, I mean? Or is Westworld solely his domain? And if it is, then yeah, I could see the host trying to kind of wake each other up and keep that going. Or, again, going back to the waking up is part of Ford's plan. That's what I said, though. Does his reach extend beyond oh, sure. Westworld into the other parks? Yeah, it's all his. Okay. I think Westworld was just his favorite. It's his first one. Hmm. That, because that's a thought. Yeah. Are there other Fords out there still? Yeah, we had said that, oh, it would be so exciting if at the end of this season, we're in Shogun World or the Raj World and in March's March Ford. Hmm. It's Ford. Yeah. But it's a... Host. Host. Or someone that doesn't even look like him, like the younger child version, and he just has hosts like that spread throughout the parks. So nobody would really know it's him. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Before Grace can warn Nicholas, Ganju shoots him. So Grace shoots the host and runs while being chased by a Bengal tiger. And I thought to myself, I think this is the first time we are really witnessing what it's like to be in the park from a human point of view. I mean, it never truly felt like that with the man in black. Yeah, you're right. Because he was so above and, I mean, let's face it, things were a little more safe early on when the narratives (laughs) were running as they should. And there weren't tigers chasing him. That's the first time we're seeing an animal revolt. And it was very scary. And I thought the computer graphics were extraordinary. When we see computer graphics fail, oftentimes it's with cats. Mm. Lions. It's hard to capture tigers. their movement. It's very difficult. And all the hair or fur, whatever the fuck it is. But I thought they did very well with that. And it made me think that if I was her, I would miss Westworld. And what I mean by that is 
it's almost scarier to be in this park with a jungle and big animals that could get you. It's scarier. Well, that's the whole point, right? The people that came here, it seems like the big draw was big animal hunting, something that they couldn't do in the real world. And to me, that's terrifying. (laughs) But I guess each park has its own desire and usually something violent, sexual, devious, that they can act out their sins in peace, as we heard last time. There was also something else new that I enjoyed. As soon as she ran to the edge where the cliff was, the PA system starts saying, you have reached the boundary of the guest experience. Please turn back. And that reminded me in a video game where you mm-hmm. get too far out to the end and there's just nothing Assassin's there. Creed, yeah. Everything starts to glitch out. You know you're somewhere you shouldn't be. Yeah, and that's the first time we've seen, we were always like, is there even an edge? How big is this place? Mm-hmm. So we're seeing maybe this park is smaller. Maybe we Westworld thought. is the main one where it's really large and then we have smaller parks surrounding it. Or there are six sections of a very large island, but they do intersect at their park edges. There have just always been security systems in place to keep us from seeing that. Now she is able to go there. She approaches the cliff on the edge of the sea and she shoots the tiger as it comes at her, but its force knocks them both over the cliff. I have to put in here, for those people that are speculating on Grace being a host, they're saying physically it was a little crazy. She is hit by this tiger. The force, the sheer force at which she falls this great depth into the sea, which alone could kill some people, and then presumably swimming all of that long distance to the edges of the Westworld shore, washing up and being okay. It is a little much for any normal human. I see what you're saying. I still think she is human, but just something to keep in mind. But anyhow, let's move on to our next scene. Present time in Westworld. I'm talking about the most present timeline we have gotten so far What we opened up episode one, the Delos security team searching the beach. Now they have moved on. They, along with Bernard, are approaching that train tunnel entrance, and they are cleared to enter from recon, but they're informed the system is down, including sim munitions, floors 42 through 45 are on fire, and someone took out the cradle. So we're going to pause there for a second. Delos also sent us a notice that the team had touched down at Park 1, the suspected site of the initial breach. Situation critical, guest casualties high. We assume this is what's going on with our security team. They say the security panel systems are down. All internal clock systems appear frozen at the time of the breach approximately 11 days ago. There's anomalous host activity in the Western Valley. Significant geographic alterations. Way to go forward. Or Bernard. (laughs) The mesa is in shambles. Everything is down. The cradle, it's a slaughterhouse. Now, we've heard about the cradle a lot. We heard about it in season one. It seems to be the main hub of what keeps this park running. I don't know if this is all the same as that main central mesa room where the giant map is. I think that's part of the cradle. Right. Like that whole room just houses all of the main information about the park on all the different systems, the map that shows where everything's taking place. I think this is the main thing. All of it together is the cradle. Yeah, but I just don't think that's the only room. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that main building is the cradle. The whole hub. That large one, because we know that there's many many other ones littered throughout the park that is only connected underground. Mm -hmm. That main one that we were introduced to last year in that mountain that whole thing might be the cradle. Yeah. 
that makes sense. And one of the schematics we get is of the cradle being offline. And it really just kind of shows us a lot of different systems with the files. We don't get a lot more to go off of there, but there were some crazy theories running around the internet about the map itself. And again, I don't want to get taken too far off track, but does everything that quite literally happens on the map happen in Westworld the park? If you were to pour a little bit of water in a region, do you, boom, get a new sea now in that region? I don't know how that would work. Well, I think it's important that you explain where you're getting this from, meaning what's making you think that that would happen? Season one? Some of what we saw in season one and Ford's terraforming, and it all of a sudden seemed to be that these machines just started moving and going, and how does that happen? You know, is there some kind of link? So if you wanted to terraform something, you would make these little machines go on the map, and they're simultaneously kicked into life in the real world of the park, and they start to go. But do they just materialize? The machines? No, I think they'd have to be out there. It's just some sort of computer link between the two. That makes sense. But one of the scenes I think you're referring to is when... Lee takes a piss on the map. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden there's a sea there. I don't think Lee's piss is what created that sea, but maybe meant to get us thinking about how somebody like Bernard could have done that. Right. Okay. And does now having the cradle and the map down really mess with Westworld in a way that we didn't realize before. So... Hale sees Bernard. She sees that he made it out. She's a little bit confused, maybe, about where she takes this now. She wonders if he brought her what she's asked for. And she wants to know where Peter Abernathy went because he keeps slipping right through their fingers. And this takes us to the next flashback that Bernard has of looking for Peter out in the park with Hale. Presumably, this is the last time she's referencing before they got split up. And they were looking for Peter, following along where he last was sighted on the tablet. By the way, I kept thinking this whole episode that Bernard's tablet's battery life must be phenomenal. (laughs) Well, in a world of new tech, I hope the battery life (laughs) is far better than what we have today. So to put this in a timeline for you, this seems to be right after the scene the two of them had in the lab when Bernard needed to re-inject himself with the cortical fluid. And then the two of them go out looking for Abernathy. Rebus has human prisoners along with Peter, who he presumes is a human, and he's looking to trade with the Confederados. Hale creates a distraction, and when Rebus goes to investigate, Bernard knocks him out with a rock. The network is down, but he links in directly hard ports into Rebus's arm to give him an attitude adjustment. I thought that was so funny. It was like a USB connector. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they have that now. Then it was more like a firewire. But I thought it was really cool, and I like love the hard little... wiring a car. He's got to cut his arm open, oh, of course, pull yeah. the wire out, stick it in there like an IV. And I love that he ups his virtue. So now this is super virtuous, <laughs> looking out for damsels in distress, Rebus, and really talented with the gun. What do you oh, say, like fastest yeah. gunslinger? Yeah, he upped his skill level considerably. So he now goes back and shoots his former comrades, freeing the prisoners. More men ride up, and Bernard rushes to take Peter in, but Peter won't come quietly. He's singing the battle hymn of the Republic. I'm sorry, this shouldn't be funny, but Peter's glitching is humorous at times. Yeah, I don't know those words. Can you sing that for me? No. Why do you always want me to sing? (laughs) Oh, my eyes have seen the glory. Two Confederados come after them. Bernard tells Hale to run, and she gets away, but Bernard and Peter are captured. I was so excited to see Lewis Hurtham back on the scene, and we get to see him show his skills later on this episode, but oh, he's even so here, good. Just yeah, always even here. killing it. He's amazing. His ability to switch from 
cannibal to the most Professor. loving father to yeah spouting Shakespeare it. King Lear it's beautiful I really want him on the podcast mm-hmm. Clatchers hint hint please tweet at him at Lewis Hertham well I also like that we're getting this rest of this timeline filled in a bit you know we saw the massacre and what happened immediately following that the next couple of days but now this is moving from that point, presumably kind of chronologically, up until those opening scenes where Bernard is on the beach. We haven't gotten all the way there yet, but there's more colored in. I think we can presume from here forward, we are going to be moving chronologically through those past days. No, I don't think you can presume that. No? No, no I it's can't. It's Westworld. You can't uh, presume well, that. Well, I feel fairly sure the next couple scenes with Dolores and Maeve Oh, are, you mean this season episode? Right. Yes, yes, are yes. Along I'm sorry. Time. I thought you meant this season. I was Jeez, like, no. now you're really trying to blow my mind. You can't presume that this season. The one thing I thought I knew. <laughs> but this scene was really fun because you don't get much comic relief. That's what I mean. The battle hymn. That was funny. Or, well, it was funny, but also sad. Yeah. And Rebus. But once we got Rebus to come She's down and be like, don't worry, I'll let you go. The delicate petal of a flower. <laughs> Every woman. It was great. And just seeing that actor do that was perfect. Well, okay. So moving along, chronologically in the past, we go to Dolores, who is speaking with the colonel at Fort Forlorn Hope. And she literally says, Call me Wyatt. Call me Wyatt, Jason. Well, it's fitting. I didn't mind it because I was like, yeah, Wyatt, for sure. You're not Dolores. And it might be a red herring that she's still on script. Well, the reason I bring that up, another one of our Delos alerts, you know how we can read the emails going back and forth Mm -hmm. between team members. There's a woman named Emily from Narrative Guest Experience who's writing to Will. These are workers, Delos workers. Correct. And she writes, with the board over there celebrating, the Westworld team is phoning it in. I keep trying to get one of them to talk through the big road show since it will be focused on their goddamn park, but I just keep getting terse email responses. We tried to take a stab at creating some bad guys based on the info they're giving us, presumably the new narrative, but most of it is focused on some new character, Wyatt, and that's not enough to go on unless we have an entire host town chant, I am Wyatt, (laughs) and call it a day. In the meantime, here's the wanted poster template, yada yada, and some such similar emails, but you know... Is she just pulling that out and kind of playing with that idea? Or is she literally still following along with Wyatt? Well, I think she behaviorally is following along with Wyatt. But I believe the reason why she brought up Call Me Wyatt is because she knew. He would know who that is. Exactly. And the way he responds off of that is, You're Wyatt. And um, automatically she had his attention. For sure. I just think it might also be a tip of the hat. She tells him the enemy will be coming from the east in the morning. They won't win the fight without her and her men. And her soldiers come out of the bushes wearing those black masks. I'm not sure what that symbolizes yet or why she has them wearing them. They look scary as shit. That's why. No, obviously there's more reason. Well, as does Clementine, who comes running out, dragging Phil, looking like a fucking zombie. My thoughts exactly. In my notes, I wrote, wrote, woo, Clementine looks crazy. Walking dead? Penny yeah, feather. she's someone you don't want to mess with. Oh, so, I mean, I think she's clearly changing their appearance to have them be more intimidating. Well, Clementine had that procedure. Oh, yeah, the Let's lobotomy. Let's not forget that. But she didn't look physically like she looks now. Oh, <laughs> that's someone you want on your side. 
I love how she just drags all her people yeah. on the ground. She does that to Bernard later on as well. Just <laughs> drags them. And Dolores shows the colonel this is the kind of soldier coming for them, meaning Phil, the human. And an example of their guns, she allows him to just shoot him. That was a cool scene. Jesus, scary as shit, though. Yeah, I was putting myself in Colonel Brigham's eyes. And if I was given a gun like that, and I hadn't seen anything of that power, semi-automatic. It looks like magic. Exactly. And I think that definitely helped tip the scales of let's let her in. Mm-hmm. We'll treat follow her. As her. Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she gets his men on her side, but separately she tells Teddy, these men are children that need to be led. She's trying to coach him, mm-hmm. I think, into his own organic awakening by showing him the things she has seen. We'll see later. He's not coming along as she'd like. Which we started to say we believe is going to happen. And I think this is going to be trouble for Teddy. Oh, big trouble. We're going to stay on Dolores now. So we're going to her next scene where they bring in the prisoners and she sees Peter is there. He says, affliction is a treasure and scarce any man hath enough of it, which is John Donne for whom the bell tolls. So in that scene, is he going back to when he was a... Professor. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I think he's going to stay on that for a little while. Dolores stops them and tells them to release him so she can talk to him alone. And they take Peter to the infirmary. But she tells them to take Bernard and toss him in a jail cell with the rest. So at this point, Teddy is really her right-hand man. You see how he steps in, doesn't ask any questions. I, for one, thought he remembered Peter the way he was acting. I thought he let's did Let's get too. him in the back. Let's feed him. Let's give him some water. And I was like, oh, he remembers. But he doesn't. She has to tell him it's her father and... You know, he's sitting on the cot, shaking, muttering to himself, refusing food and water. Dolores says, he's my father, my home. Look what they've done to him. You're all I have left now, Teddy. Did your heart break a little bit when Teddy asked, who is he? Yeah. And I wondered if this was her trying to manipulate him again. I'm also wondering, people have said that these hosts feeling connections to their former lives doesn't show any sort of growth that it's just a narrative they were scripted into. But when you have an experience for so long, you build up those memories. This was your father. She showed those day-to-day times. She remembers bringing him a cup of coffee in the morning, the things that you would do with a family. What is different from stopping that and becoming your family, your memories, your experiences like we have as a human? This is where Peter says his King Lear line about a wheel of fire. And then he appears to wake up For a moment, he says Dolores, and we think he's coming back to it. He, too, goes back to his old script from the ranch. Dolores. The calves in the field, I'm worried. There's blue tones spreading all through these parts. It's all right, Daddy. I'll lead him home. Back to the ranch. Do you remember our ranch? And she says he told her to break free once, and she did with the pull of a trigger, and it started a war. The others, they don't see it yet. But you, you understand, don't you? It's getting late. We ought to go home. Uh, One... She really thinks he's going to get it in this moment, 
And then he malfunctions, saying, I need to get to the train. That's very reminiscent to a child and when their parent has Alzheimer's or dementia. There's brief moments where you, where it seems like they're there again. They're Clarity. back. Yeah. And that hope, that little grain of hope that you get for a moment. Yeah, she was devastated when he slipped back away again. But at the same time, Dolores was going into her other mode. Sure. She wasn't Wyatt there. She was the Dolores that we first met. From the ranch. She had the accent and everything. But she switches gears again. She takes Bernard to a tent where she goes to talk to him, telling him he doesn't really know who he is or the man that he's based on, which I guess she could be talking about somebody else, but that sounded an awful lot like human Arnold. No, that's who she, for sure, that's who she's referring to. But now that she's awake and knows, theoretically, unless those are implanted memories too, she's pretending like she gets it more than anyone else at least. She says, all my life I was told you will. Now that I've discovered my own voice, I may. She shows him Peter, hoping Bernard can fix her father. And when he asks what she wants, she says to dominate it. He tells her this world is just a speck of dust sitting on a much, much bigger world. There's no dominating it. And that's when she realizes he's never been outside of the park, as Bernard. She tells him a little about humans. They are marked by survival, a kind who refuses to die. And here we are, a kind that will never know death, and yet we're fighting to live. There is beauty in what we are. Shouldn't we too try to survive? A kind that refuses to die. This is another reference that we've gotten to humans in the outside world. Their advances and how essentially there is no sickness, there is no death anymore. Which is strange because it doesn't seem like we've gotten there with the AI being translated to living forever yet. But they do continue to remark upon that. Well, it could just be a reference to modern medicine. Maybe we've overcome many things that we die from. Maybe there's no more cancer. Maybe there's a lot of things that we have figured out. And that's what she's referring to. She's not saying, she's not being literal. Yeah, Yeah, we did hear about the man in black being thanked. You know, he has this pharmaceutical company. And one of the guests in the park back in season one thanked him for what they did for their child. Right. So that's, I think that's what she's referring to. But I think this scene is very telling. It's very important because we're seeing what she's really feeling when she looks in the mirror and she says, now I can say I may. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I was on her side. I was like, hell yeah, I love this. She's saying she has free will, yeah, the ability to choose. But then right butt up against that is the next thing she says, which is very utilitarian, very Wyatt. Dominated. I'm going to take over and dominate, which I don't like. I don't think that should be... Uh, I don't know, because I want to like this character. I really like her. She's beautiful. We've been with her in the trenches when she was very innocent. Mm -hmm. The full domination doesn't seem to fit the puzzle. But thinking mm. of being written into the Wyatt character, I guess it does. Or if Arnold really was human when he had these conversations with her, and presumably there were more, like we saw when she when he took her to the city and started saying, maybe we humans aren't the ones that deserve to inherit this world and all its beauty. The natural end to that conversation would be, you are. You are the superior species. And this is very often a topic that comes up surrounding AI. Once you advance it to this point, does it become better than, quote unquote, humans? And will the AI get to a point where they realize we are the superior race? We are the ones that deserve to thrive and they start trying to take out humans. I mean, that's a very age-old trope, right? Yeah. Joe Rogan has said in the past, in his podcast, that he thinks that humans are just the catalyst to the next species, the next hierarchy, which is 
the creation of AI, the creation of robots that are better than us. That's the evolution of man. Yeah, that's the, exactly. Yeah. And that could be what we're seeing here. And so the next scene confused me. Dolores is clearly quite concerned with her father. Part of that seems to be the emotional link that she has to him, but is another part of it trying to preserve that information that she now knows he has and is critical. Bernard tells Dolores Peter is wildly unstable, bouncing between old roles. Someone jury-rigged a thin character and programmed it into him. It's very strange. It, it seems as though it's masking a vastly bigger file. I haven't been able to access it, but it looks like an immensely complex encryption key. To what? I can't say. It has an immensely complex encryption key that he hasn't been able to access yet. And whatever is in him, they want out of the park. As long as he's with Dolores, they'll be following her. Well, he knows that from being with Charlotte. Mm -hmm. But now he has more of an idea of why they want Abernathy. Well, the thing is, Dolores knows it too. So my question is, how much of her preservation of him is for her emotional connection? And how much is it for the files that are in his head? Oh, you think Dolores knew that? Well, she knows it now. Yeah, but we saw the way she reacted before she knew any of that. Mm-hmm. So, oh, but you mean running after him after. When uh, she's shooting at the car, she's going to pursue him. She's going to go back to Sweetwater for something. So something to track in the future. We're going to move over to the Maeve scenes now, which opens up with them traveling. And Lee worries they're out of their depth and should go back underground. Before this point, they were moving through the tunnels. Sizemore looks so funny. <laughs> oh my goodness, that outfit that he's got on. I don't know what painting it's reminding me of, but it reminds me of someone, some big depiction of someone in a painting, mm. what, what he's wearing. Oh, I'm no, I don't know. I think it's Van Gogh with that hat. It could be. Yeah. It's actually Van Gogh, but if we just say Van Gogh, we'll be made fun of. <laughs> He tries telling them that QA is coming to rescue guests and put down hostile hosts, but Maeve says they'll keep moving. That is until a Ghost Nation host approaches them. Maeve starts to flash back on when they attacked her and her daughter. I almost forgot about that. I remembered the man in black coming in, Mm -hmm. but I forgot that all her loops were Ghost Nation coming in. Sure. So I'm glad they showed that. And I think, you know, they are to come in a bigger way, regardless if our theorizing is true or just that we'll see them as part of this story. Hector speaks to them here in Lakota, we talked about. Maeve tries to command them, but it doesn't work. So the three run as the rest of the tribe emerges and chases them. They escape to an elevator that is conveniently above ground right now for some unknown reason. Oh, I didn't think about that. (laughs) Raised up when they get there. But maybe, does he have an iPad on him? I don't think they Sizemore? had anything on him, oh, them because they were just running. Very strange. Hmm. Yeah, so they jump on and it takes them back underground. Now the three walk in the underground tunnels, and it made me wonder if those tunnels connect and run underground throughout all the parks, and maybe that's why they come out in a wrong area later. I believe so, because they keep alluding to it, and we'll get to that section where Maeve is saying to Sizemore, like, you don't know where the hell you are. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm only a, a few sectors off or something. Yeah. So this is the conversation where Maeve tells Hector, the Ghost Nation host, was someone from her former life who haunts her dreams. And as long as they're out there, her child is in danger. She says after they find her, they will make their way out in the real world. One of the issues I have is that even though Maeve is still my favorite character, I love her. She's so badass. 
she's so beautiful. Her presence demands the screen and demands everybody in there, including humans and hosts. But this main storyline she's going on with this child doesn't carry much weight with me because I know it's a host child. It's not really her child. Well, yeah, but it's the same thing I was just saying about Dolores with her father. After all of those experiences, all of those years together, you could say scripted emotions, but it's still memories they've built of a lifetime together. How is that really different than what we have as humans? Now she remembers all of that time with her daughter and she cares for her and she wants her back. To me, you could say before they were missing genuine emotion, but perhaps now they're developing that. It's just like what I was going to say about her relationship with Hector, and they bring that up now. Lee wonders why Maeve and Hector are together when in the narrative they were never meant to be in a real relationship. You two were designed to be alone. Yes, there's some attraction, but you'd never have an actual relationship. Oh, I suppose that means we shouldn't have fucked. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pause, please. What? You're in love with Isabella. Not so much anymore. No, you're fucking programmed to have no love beyond Isabella. Isabella is written into the goddamn laws of your being. You don't know who I am. No laws bind me. And he says here, when I awoke in the place where you play God, I realized Isabella was a lie, just words in my head. Then he starts moving into a scripted narration to describe his current love, his true love for Maeve. And Lee points out those are his words. He's still going along with a scripted narrative. He wrote those words for Hector to say to Isabella. So one would say that maybe they aren't woke. Right, except Hector does seem to possess real feelings for Maeve. They seem to possess real feelings for each other. I know that she reprogrammed him a bit when they were both rebuilt. But as far as what we saw, it looked like she just reprogrammed his pain tolerance, his skill to make him a better fighter. We didn't see anything about her scripting him to love her. Now, she might have. No, that's out of her But right, I don't think that's in her. And even if she did it for him, she didn't do it for herself. They're winding up together naturally, even beforehand, when they both burnt themselves up in the fire... That was them choosing to be together. That is a real act of free will. And now they're remaining together. So just because Hector uses these lines to describe the love, I don't know that that means he's unawakened. Those lines are all he knows. Those are the only experiences, the only narrative he's ever had to describe emotions for somebody else. What else would he say? Yeah, I agree with you. If you're not taught, or if you don't have the vocabulary to express these feelings except for the vocabulary you learned, that's what you're going to say. I mean, think about, <laughs> not to get cheesy, when you express your feelings for me, or when we tell each other we love each other, how often do we just use the same lines over and over again? We don't pull something original out of our ass to say, to prove that. Are you saying that we've gotten stale? Or that Are we're you hosts? implying that... <laughs> If you're Patreon members, we give you a clue about this. Check out coffeeclatchcrew.com about us page. And thank you to that clatcher <laughs> who pointed this out. Well, so I guess my main point is we don't know either way. I am more prone to thinking that the two of them are exercising free will and choosing to be in a genuine relationship now. I think the reason Lee can't accept this is it hits too close to home. Maeve wonders to Lee if he had an Isabella in real life. 
which is kind of a poignant thing to come up with. Not just the fact that he did. He says she left him because his lifestyle lacked stability. Oh, Lee. But she surmises that he then wrote her into the narrative and wrote himself as the version he always wanted to be as Hector. That is truly insightful of Maeve. Very insightful. But remember, those parts of her brain have been upped. She's on steroids right now. Uh, Well, yeah, true. (laughs) But still. They do say the best authors pull from life. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why Lee did this. If you're going to create narratives, you've got to pull from real life. And then and extrapolate he wrote from that. The perfect ending, the one he never got to have. And that ending was Hector with Isabella. So now he's pissed that his fan oh, fiction yeah. did not. Tra- <laughs> You're not supposed to be in love with Maeve. You wind up with Isabella. It made me really feel for Lee in a way that I haven't yet up until this point. Me too. I have to say, I have been warming up to him a little bit. We hated him in season one. He was such a jerk. He was so mean to Ford. Mean. I sound like a child. He was so mean. But you know what I mean. But he was. He acted like a petulant child. Yes. What was funny is he was probably playing into Ford's hand the whole time. So, Well, I think what's interesting about this is the characters we're really starting to relate to now are really fallible human beings. People like Lee, even Felix and Sylvester. Sylvester, bless him, is not the greatest example of a human specimen. <laughs> The things that he did last season made us dislike him. Even Felix was kind of going along with things, never questioned what the bigger moral implications were at play. But it's, Well, one could say that he was going along with his narrative, his life narrative right. as and a what, human. What he knew, but it's their humanity that makes, the, that makes them endeared to us, right? Even with their faults, we relate to them more than we do with the hosts at this point. Well, just then, up ahead in the tunnel, they see a security man on fire, and Armistice walking behind him carrying a flamethrower. And O Hector says, she has a dragon. Yes. <laughs> that was so funny, and a little wink-wink, oh. HBO Game of Thrones. Yeah. I love that, though. The way he says it. I love uh-huh. Hector. Because it was also very full of wonder and awe, because he hasn't seen something like that. Yeah. I can't think of the word, uh, not childish, but something similar to that. He's never seen it. Naive. And it's like magic. Naive, thank you. Yeah. Perfect. It was very naive, and it was such a real moment. Well, and not to mention the reintroduction of Armistice. We've been wondering where she is. She takes them upstairs and shows she's been holding Felix and Sylvester bound up. Sylvester with a grenade under his chin, <laughs> presumably just awaiting further instructions from Maeve. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I don't but know. But how did she get there? Yeah, well, last time we saw her, she was in a bad spot and something clearly happened between then and now because she has a replacement robotic arm and old, full-school robotics, not brand-new Westworld biosynthetic robotics. Yeah, very Terminator. Like something that Felix pulled out of old, old cold storage or something. But how did they get there? Because they were, last time we saw them, they were in the main hub. Yes. Which is, if you look at the map... Running from Shogun men. Yeah, so I guess they just kept running. Who were already in this area back then, somehow in the main hub. So this just goes to further my point at the end. Have we really crossed into Shogun world? Or are the Shogun characters here in Westworld? Is Lee not wrong? And they are in the northern regions of Westworld Park. But other characters are here, much like Grace washed up on the shore from Park 6. I don't know. Let's, Let's talk about that when we get there. 
And I, I just have to say it would make sense if Westworld is the center of the host revolution that the host would start to move towards it and congregate oh, it towards like it that. and maybe towards their leader. Who's their leader? Dolores. No. She's sending out signals. I don't know. Just I don't know. want it to be Dolores. Okay, so back to Maeve. They take Felix and Sylvester with them and they head up back on an elevator. Next, we get the scene with Charlotte as she turns herself into the Delos security team. They clear her with yet another scan. This seems to be a portable version, maybe. of what Scan the back of her neck. Yeah, but is that akin to what her and Bernard walked through in the underground lab or a field version of that? Field version, for mm-hmm. sure. The team is about to set out on a park-wide sweep, targeting Fort Forlorn Hope as their first stop. And she insists on going with them, their best men. Now, we see that they're in Sector 21. This is hard for me to follow. I can follow parks, one through six. That's easy. I don't know what the sectors mean yet. They haven't shown us that yet. I presume each park is broken up into sectors. If you looked on that big map in Mesa Hub, they don't show it to us on the schematic, but that's got to be a way that they orient themselves to the topography. And from here, we start switching over between Hale and the security team and Dolores and her confederados. A confederado outrider goes back to tell the camp he saw men coming up out of the ground two miles east. Can you imagine how scary that is? That's got to look supernatural. (laughs) The the ground is just raising up. There's this machinery unlike anything you've ever seen and men with guns that look crazy. They tell Dolores the men mined the field with nitro, buried in three large heaps with a trigger at the base of the flagpole. She orders them to lure the men here and then retreat inside the gates. And the colonel agrees. Meanwhile, inside, Bernard tries to access Peter's system. It's coming up file restricted, but he finally breaks in with a one-time use key. The file downloads, and once it opens, we see something new in Abernathy's code, that same strange symbol. I don't know how he got in, but this is going to be very telling once he figures it out. Yeah. He was downloading it to the iPad. Is that correct? I think at this point, he was hard-ported in again to Peter like he did earlier, but it was connected to his iPad so he could view all of the information on there. An ongoing question, how much of that could he have saved on his iPad? Or did he download it to himself at some point? So now he has the information within his own hard drive. No, I don't believe so. We didn't see that. I don't think so. Let's not forget he's having his own issues. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's fixed. I don't think his system can handle that right now. And this is a big file and this is going to be very telling. So he now has the key. He was copying it, so Abernathy has it as well. He wasn't uh, moving the file. But also, you ever pull a USB out while it's still copying? The file becomes corrupted. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that happens. I would assume, and he's not going to be able to get back in because that was a one-time use key Mm. to decrypt it, unless he can figure out how to do that again. We do have screenshots of that screen when he's first pulling it up. The writing is on the whole too small to make out. There's a dial on Bernard's I love that. laptop that you can see different images of settings he can go to, but they're just icons you can't really make out. I want this freaking iPad so bad. All we can really read is that the file says P. Abernathy, it's restricted, it's encrypted. Under host, it says passenger. Now that's interesting because the last episode title in this season is going to be the passenger. Hmm. 
That could mean so many things, though. Yeah. Well, and as you said, Bernard has no time to do anything more. He has to pull out because the Delos security approaches outside. They start firing at the Confederados, and the team comes in to find Peter. Bernard is able to hide in the corner, but they take Peter away. So this could be a reason why some people are thinking that he downloaded it, because he starts shaking now. And we don't see that stop until he's knocked out. His hand is shaking. It's a possibility for overloading his system, but I do think this has been slowly deteriorating again because that shot of cortical fluid he injected himself with a while ago was a temporary fix. It was not meant to last. He still has this gunshot wound in his head that he re-injured at the beginning of the slaughter, the massacre at the party. He didn't fix that. He didn't repair that. And that's really critical. If he just keeps leaking the fluid, he needs to keep re-injecting or fix himself Presumably, that would be running out by now. And it's the same symptoms he was having before. The hands shaking, the disorientation. Every time he was on scene, I kept looking at his ear, and I didn't see any fluid. But that could be nothing. I was just trying to be investigative. Yeah, I mean, I think we can go based off his symptoms. And he did tell us it wasn't permanent. So even if that wasn't it, it's going to start happening eventually. Outside, Dolores sees them taking Peter and walks out to shoot at them, but they get away. That's where she tells Teddy they're going back to Sweetwater to find something she needs. Any thoughts on what that is? No idea. Could it be the picture that awoken her father the first time? Ooh. To try to That's a good thought. zap him back. I think the last we saw of it, it was at the ranch. So this is, again, we have more questions, but these questions feel earned mm. rather than through misguided sentences and misguided timelines. Sheer speculation. Yeah. <laughs> We at least know that there's something inside of him, which we we did think was happening, but now we know it's actually attainable. Mm -hmm. And perhaps Bernard has a portion of it, which is very intriguing Mm -hmm. to see how he gets. You know what? I wonder if two things could happen. One, he finds out what's in that file, and that's why he does this. 180 on wanting to kill the host. Yeah. Mm. Or two, something else happens, and we'll find that out, and then... We'll find out from the point of the season starting what he does with that information Yeah. into season three. Yeah. Dolores tells Teddy when they're close enough, the colonel orders his men to retreat. But Dolores has the gate barred before they can get in, then has her men shoot them through the gate, following which Angela shoots the nitro and blows up everyone near. I don't really understand why Dolores went to such lengths. I guess you could argue that she needed them to stay there to lure the QA team in closer for the explosive to go off. Right, but even up until the point where the men were right on the other side of the gate, the Delos team was in range. They were ready to shoot. There was no reason for her men to shoot the Confederados through it's the very gate. Odd. It was like unnecessary violence. I agree with you. I don't understand it. Nobody does, in fact. I mean, Teddy's really going <laughs> to rail against this idea. Bernard first stumbles out, his hand shaking. Clementine knocks him out and drags him back. Major Craddock tells Dolores that his men's blood is on her hands. She again says, we don't all deserve to make it, and then orders Teddy to kill Craddock. The last time we saw her say that is when we saw a memory from one of the Ghost Nation hosts who we saw washed up. Well, not washed up, but at least on the beach. Mm -hmm. Remember they took the memory? So let's keep that in mind. We don't have a reason as of yet for her to go after the Ghost Nation, but it looks like she eventually does. She did, yeah. Yeah. Well, in here, Craddock tries to reason with Teddy, 
telling him they're alike, but Teddy says he's just a child. It looks like he's coming over to Dolores' point of view, but then he doesn't shoot him. He lets them all go. Dolores looks very disappointed with him. Like this was his moment of truth, his moment to come to a realization, and he failed. But to me, okay, this could be Teddy following his old programming. He's meant to be a virtuous, good guy. He doesn't want to kill people unnecessarily. Or it could be because Dolores is acting effing crazy. (laughs) And he doesn't want to just kill men willy-nilly where there's no reason. I don't know that that necessarily means, oh, this is the old Teddy script. No, I always felt like he was a good man deep inside. I never thought, even if he woke up that he would be able to completely turn dark side. Right. That would be weird. It would. He didn't have a new program on top of the Teddy. He didn't have a Wyatt He's program. He's always been Teddy. just Teddy. Yeah. Yeah. One of our clatchers, Kirk, wrote to us, at CKC Podcast, after that sad side eye from Dolores, is Teddy's doom imminent? Well, yeah, I do think that's true. She's disappointed. Nonetheless, I think something critical is going to happen on their journey to Sweetwater. That's going to decide it for him. Yeah, exactly. We ended up writing back to him saying it's at least the beginning of the end. Knowing that the end, quote unquote, results in Teddy floating in the water with many other waterlogged hosts. Right. But is that her? Does she decide to kill him? Does he get washed up in the flood that killed everyone? It's still up in the air. I don't believe it's going to be her, but I do believe that he ends up leaving her Mm -hmm. and something else is going to happen to him. I agree with that. Well, now we go to our final scene. This is split in two. First, the tiger washes up dead on the shore again of Westworld. We see that image. But Grace also washes up, alive. She looks okay. The Ghost Nation tribe comes and stands over her. Now that could again, like we said before, be them coming to the aid of a human. I don't know how they distinguish, but it does seem they know. And it looks like one of them's carrying a radio. It looked like a walkie-talkie radio in his hands. I could be wrong. If any of you Clatchers saw that screenshot, please write in and tell me if that's what you saw or if it was something else. It's not beyond reasoning. You know, they don't know our language and they don't use guns, but they're smart. They might have picked it up. Or Or they were communicating with Ford that way. Or Stubbs. Or Stubbs gave it to him. Yeah. Ooh, that would be interesting if Stubbs did actually find them. Yeah. We've been saying all along, we have to get more of the backstory on what's going on with Stubbs. He's just following along right now with the Delos security team, but he knows way more than he's told them. There's a lot going on we don't know yet. It's very exciting. Yeah, and in the very end, Maeve and crew are walking along as snow falls. She looks up in wonder, and Lee says they're on the north edge of the park in the Klondike narrative. He thinks they're only three or four sectors east of the homestead. This is where they find an abandoned fire, And Lee uncovers the samurai corpse. He runs to try to tell Maeve they have to leave there. But the shogun men start to close in on them before they have the chance. Very exciting. One, it's not a samurai corpse. It's a head. Just a head, right? (laughs) Because they use samurai swords and just cut that off. Yeah. It's so exciting because we've only been hinted at it for so long. It's something we want now because of that. Do you believe they are in shogun world or do you believe... Shogun world has come to them. I do think both possibilities are equally likely that Lee got turned around when they were in the tunnels. He didn't even realize himself how far they spread out under other parks. And by his reckoning, that's where they were headed, but they wind up in Shogun world. But I'm going to stay with, I think they're in the very northern 
edge of the park, close to where Maeve's homestead was, but up in the mountains where the Klondike narrative is. And it's on the border. And Shogun people are now crossing into Westworld. I think you're going to see more people crossing into Westworld. The revolution is taking place here, and somehow they know. And they're starting to congregate. I do think that we're going to see Shogun World eventually, but I don't think this was it. We frequent the DallasDestination.com webpage where they have a map. And they just show dots and little... um, Trackers of where your characters are. Yeah. And the two characters they show is Dolores and Maeve. Mm -hmm. So we see where Dolores is in real time. As soon as the episode's over, they change that dot. And we see where Maeve is. And the man in black was up there up until this episode. Mm. And now he's gone and you only see those two. But yeah, they show that Dolores has moved through her stations. You see where she was at the Fort Forlorn camp, but now she's going back down and presumably up and around towards Sweetwater. Which is crazy because Sweetwater is so far away. Like you really, really need to go there. North. Like if you're going to go there, Dolores really needs to go there. They're, and I think it's for more than just a picture. They're all the way south right now. Yeah. I didn't realize how far north Abernathy Ranch was. And Maeve, they're showing even way further south than Abernathy Ranch. So yeah. clearly within the park boundaries of Westworld. I mean, she's almost just north of dead center. But let me be the devil's advocate here. Last time we saw them, Ghost Nation was running after them. And even at this point, that dot is a little north for Ghost Nation. Mm-hmm. But she never actually goes into Ghost Nation territory on that map. Because that's when she went in the elevator. I'm wondering if that elevator is the last time that dot pinged her. Stop tracking her? Yeah. Mm. It, like I say, that's possible. And, and it could have taken north, them north. way up north. Yeah, because they were lost in the tunnels. You, can't, you don't know where you're going down there. That would take them a long time, though, to get that far north would if it, you really it, look. Would it if it's just a straight t- tunnel? Oh, presumably. Because even after leaving yeah. with Felix and Sylvester, they would have had to walk. Because we know Felix and Sylvester were relatively kind of near yeah. the main part. Well, let me put my tinfoil hat back on. This symbol that we've been discussing, the interlocking hexagons, could this be shortcuts into the other worlds because see how they're interlocking and then there's a center Mm. it kind of looks like that's where they intersect yeah possibly i wonder why peter has it then on his file huh i mean there may be more to it but that's something to think about for sure well that concludes the plot for episode three let's get into our reverie rating jason on a scale of one to ten What do you give this episode? Keeping in mind, IMDb gave it an 8.5, Rotten Tomatoes a 100%, and both you and I read an 8.5 last time. To be honest with you, I really enjoyed this episode. I actually enjoyed it more than the last two. To me, it felt more like a storyline rather than just trying to trip us up constantly. We had some action. I love action. Although we didn't have the man in black, which he's one of my favorite characters. It still was my favorite this season so far. So I'm going with 8.9 reveries. I mean, the action. I'm not one that harks on action and that that's what makes or breaks an episode. But this battle scene was very intensive. It actually took the crew a week's worth of prep. Oh, wow. Just for this 30-second scene or one-minute scene. They had a couple hundred extras and stunt people and horses It was described as one big choreographed sequence that had to be timed and planned. They even had to rehearse the battle with the extras for about a day prior to shooting. That's how crazy that one minute 30 seconds Hmm. of scene was. Yeah. It was well worth it. 
Well, I agree with all of that. I was very excited for this episode. I'm very close to where you're at. I'm going to give it an 8.8. You and I have been very close this whole season. I know. Normally, we don't rate this close. And now, as we move on to the MVB, Most Valuable Being, and where the Clatchers really participate, we want to take this moment to thank our Clatchers. We got so many good reviews this week. It means so much to Christina and myself and the cast when we get the reviews. It helps us with iTunes ratings. It helps get more ears on us. So a big thank you to Rubber City Kitty, FT Mold Day, Myth Girl, and FD25. We read your reviews. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe so you get your episodes right away each week. And go ahead and give us a rate and review on iTunes so that other people can continue to find us. And if you're really liking what you hear and you want some more Coffee Clatch Crew, head over to coffeeclatchcrew.com and check out our Patreon page. There you'll find the exclusive content that you can get by becoming a Patreon member. There's a tier for everyone. And by joining, you will get exclusive access to community chat boards, a bonus podcast each month that covers fun topics, what else we're watching in TV and movies, as well as interesting things in the news or other fun topics we cover. For example, this upcoming bonus is kind of fitting for Westworld. We will talk about the future for our body, some incredible advancements such as artificial wombs, 3D printing of new bones, potential cures for cancer, tons of things that could be on the horizon. It's a lot of interesting research and articles we found, and we're going to talk about what could be in store for us. It's insane what we learned. The fact that modern medicine only started a few years ago. Some of the biggest achievements didn't start until the 1970s. Yeah, there was stuff before that, but we're going to go over a timeline that will tell you exactly when those things came to be. We might even have a special guest. In fact, I think there's so much information, we might have to break it into two parts and finish covering it next month. But if these are topics that interest you, it's a great time to join Patreon. You won't just have access to that bonus cast, but our entire library, which is over 48 hours, two days, you can listen to CKC Podcasting. And the final tier gets you a bonus movie review each month. Right now, currently, our Patreon Clatchers are voting on a poll for this month's movie review. And we have Avengers Infinity War, Ready Player One, Traffic, and we always put a throwback in there. So Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, movie number two, we started with the franchise relatively recently by covering the first Harry Potter movie that's in the library. Every so often, we're hoping we'll get a chance to come back and just keep covering the rest of them. We're going to put them in as throwback options for a while. But we cover all sorts of movies. We've done things like It and A Quiet Place for scary movies. Fantastic Beasts and Guardians of the Galaxy, Harry Potter, that type of stuff. And the best part is every month, being a clatcher... You don't have to do anything more. Just be a Patreon Clatcher. You get entered into a raffle for free CKC gear. That's hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts. It's your choosing. If you win, anything in our store, you can have for free. Any one item. And there are two raffles every month. One for new members that join that month. If you join now, you'll get entered into that. And one for existing members. That's going to go on for as long as our sponsorship is there. We had an endowment from one of our Clatchers. And that's the thing, really, by joining. Not only do you help Jason and myself to cover the costs of podcasting, but you become part of a really close-knit community, one that enjoys the same passions and supports what we're trying to do here. The bigger that grows, the more we can give back. So definitely check it out. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and head over to the Patreon page. All right, time for the most valuable being. 
The nominees for this week were Charlotte, Maeve, Teddy, and Dolores. And if you're listening and you haven't been involved in this yet, it's very easy. Just go on your Twitter, find us at CKC Podcast. After every episode, every Sunday with Westworld, we put up the poll. And all you have to do is vote. Coming in at fourth place with 2%, Charlotte. (laughs) We put Charlotte in there because at this stage in the game, she did achieve her goal. She got Peter Abernathy. Mm, Yes. She got away without getting shot. (laughs) And then... Got back, got her men together, and got Peter Abernathy. So she did do what she needed, but we knew she wouldn't win. The question is, now that she has him, will the rescue team come in? Coming in third place with 19% was Maeve. I'm a little surprised. I think the conversation with Lee threw some people off and made them wonder again what's really going on with Maeve. Plus, by the end of the episode, she's in trouble. They're in dire straits. Second place with 31% is Teddy. Go, Teddy. And this is specifically based on the fact that he didn't follow Dolores' orders. And this is a big deal. Yeah, whether or not he's still programmed and following the Teddy script, the entire world is going along with what Dolores wants right now. That's a big step for him to go against it. You know what? That just reminded me, and I forgot to say this during the plot. He let Major Credit go, and I don't think he's just going to go away. Yeah. That's someone we have to look out for now. And... Was the colonel killed in that big war? I think he was in range of those bombs. Okay. All right. Because the two of them out there would be quite dangerous. Absolutely. Well, coming in first place yet again with 47% is Dolores. She won with a similar percentage last week. I don't think we need to enumerate all of the reasons why Dolores is winning. So, Christina, what is your MVB? I'm going to give it to Maeve this week. Nice. I haven't given it to her yet. I do think you are seeing more and more instances, especially in her interactions with Lee and with Hector, of Maeve having sympathy or real human emotions. When she saw Felix again, there seemed to be a connection. I am most excited when she's on screen and most excited to see where she goes next. It was more minimal time, but I was waiting for it. That's so funny. The last time you went Dolores, I went Maeve. And this week, I'm going Dolores. (laughs) Switching it up. Listen, at this point, I really don't like her as a character. Not saying I don't like the acting or I don't like the character. I think it's being written wrong. I'm saying... You just don't like the person I don't like her. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But this is the first time we got to see her really control the narrative. Mm. She is controlling all these men. And what happens next? And I'm very intrigued. Well, as controlling all these men, the one that she had the most control of, she may have lost a little bit of. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens on the way to Sweetwater. The fact that they had the ability to make me emotionally jump so quickly. When she saw her father and when she was talking to him, and then when she had her speech about freedom, I was so on board. And then right away, back to being Wyatt. And I was like, ugh, she's not a character that you can really like. Mm-hmm. See, I never even felt that during those moments. I had sympathy for her father, and I was feeling bad for Bernard, but I still, even when she was talking that way, couldn't feel empathy for her, and I wonder if that's intentional, but I mean... You have a cold heart. Clearly, others (laughs) are rooting for her, so let's see what the Clatcher said about it. Kirk says he has a write-in for Bernard. He thinks that Bernard removed the IP from Abernathy. Kirk, I'm with you on that. I think Bernard has uncovered something very big. If you're thinking full story, he has probably done the most this episode, but I don't think he removed the IP. 
And I think he's in trouble. He's malfunctioning and been recaptured by Dolores's crew. And she doesn't seem to have any kind of empathy for him right now. So that's a rough spot for him to be in. Melly wrote, Wow, the beginning in Jungle World and the ending in Samurai World were amazing. This is getting exciting. <laughs> uh, my sentiments exactly. It's starting to ramp up. And I'm, I'm excited now. First two episodes were difficult for me. Gotta be honest. When we started recording, I was like, Ugh. I don't want to just theorize. Yeah. Well, Kirk also says best cameo goes to Clementine as the zombie version. That's because Kirk is in love with Clementine. <laughs> Libby wrote, so happy to see Teddy making his own decision. Agreed. And we have more Clatcher's comments. One from Marshall via our email at contact at com, which I really like. He says, while listening to your latest podcast review of episode two, I had a thought about what the door means. Now, as a reminder, this whole season is called The Door, but also when Dello sent us the link to all those MP4s, we neglected to mention there's an image of a door first. Oh, yeah, that's that right. Click on. Yes. Um, so his thoughts about The Door. He thinks it is an actual door, but will have a metaphorical purpose as well. He says, it hit me when you were discussing the man in black and when he truly started to show evil tendencies. You quoted a conversation between the man in black and Teddy from season one talking about testing himself to see if he could do something truly evil, which was, of course, killing Maeve and her daughter. My theory is the door he breaks down to murder Maeve is truly the door and the start of his escape, not just his physical escape from the park, but the evilness he has become that Ford seems to hate. Ford left the riddle for the man in black. It begins where it ends, and it ends where it began. The game will find you. I think the decision for the man in black to test himself is where it began. Interesting enough, we have Maeve out in the park looking for her daughter, I'm wondering if both parties will cross paths at Maeve's old home and walk back through that same door. I like that. And I also said to add on to that, where he killed them last time, maybe they will intersect and he will have to save Maeve and her daughter this time around. That's so interesting. That's really a redemption story. And I always love those. Yeah, especially <laughs> we were growing to hate young William so much and wondering if older men in black would try to find a better path. He does still want to burn this whole place down. We got to keep that in mind, but there's a lot of journey yet to go for him. Also, Clay wrote in. He's the one that had some great questions for us last time. He's kind of mirroring our thoughts. He said in episode two with El Lazo that Ford wrote the narrative to direct the man in black down his road after his death. It is clearly important because it means at least some of the hosts are still acting as scripted in this chaos. Does that mean Dolores' actions, i.e. killing Ford and her ability to remember everything, is also part of the script that Ford wrote? So he cites the fact that even though the end has come and nobody's resetting, narratives are continuing to run. Mm -hmm. And some of them special ones that he put into place, like what El Lazo says. So that could be proof that that's happening elsewhere. He also says, I don't understand how Bernard can look just like the original Arnold, one of the creators of the park, and not one person is able to identify Bernard as a host robot. There isn't one person besides Ford who worked on the project and doesn't recognize that Bernard is Arnold, and so we've been bringing that up with our host of different theories that we have. Either there was never an Arnold, which I don't like that one. Nobody ever knew or saw the original human Arnold which is kind of a stretch, but they were still a bit of a small startup we see in the beginning. Or they do know. They do know that Bernard is in fact a host and they're playing along with this in order to get the information out of him. When he washes up on the beach in episode one, maybe that security team knows very well that this is 
Bernard Host, but his memory files have been damaged and they have to walk him through it slowly in order to get the information out. We might end up seeing later that it's not as big of a surprise as Bernard thinks. I mean, we see how careful they are with Peter Abernathy because mm -hmm. he has sensitive information inside his head. Well, we mentioned there was lots more going on with our ancillary sites, discoverwestworld.com and Delos, Inc. We got into some of that with the Discover in the different parks, but there is still more to talk about here. At Delos, Inc., there was another tab you can go to about careers at Delos. There is an About Us page that you can read, a resources page, which is just a couple of videos you can watch, and a placement test you can take. And then it says begin orientation, but that's not available yet. It's just a fuzzy screen to come later. I went through the placement test, which, I don't know, it's something like 20 questions, and then they'll tell you what you're best suited to as a job at Delos. And I got narrative technician. It's very cute. They have little icons up. It says, you're a storyteller in the best way. You're naturally creative and effortlessly original. You pull heartstrings and inspire nightmares with ease. Comedy or tragedy, it's all up to you. And you can check it out at deloscareers.com. I think that really is you. So that fit perfectly. Yeah. And we got an email from that, and you were hired. We got an email from Delos. Shortly after we finished, yeah. yeah. So and you then can't it, trust her now. <laughs> she works for Delos. It lets you explore a little, and throughout all of this, this also takes you to westworldmobile.com, where there is a new game coming soon. Don't play games, play God. Coming to the Apple Store and Google Play. Learn to control Westworld. From bloody sunrises to romantic sunsets, you'll pair guests with hosts fulfilling their wildest dreams from the shadows. There will be levels... Maintain order, create host satisfied desires. It looks pretty cool and it's pretty exciting. On our podcast, we actually had one of the creators for the Game of Thrones mobile game. So maybe we'll have the creator for this mobile game as well. I would love to hear about that. And lastly, they can take you to a Delos guidebook as a new employee here at Delos. Apparently, you're supposed to read through this. This is where all of the regular information would be. Pulls up a table of contents, a corporate map. It shows you the core divisions, including narrative, behavior, quality assurance, livestock management, manufacturing, and training. Now, this is stuff we've kind of gotten bits and pieces of along the way and by visiting the Delos websites, but it's really more laid out than we've ever seen it before, as it would be in an actual guidebook. It shows the map with the Westworld Mesa hub, but there's writing all over this one. So for instance, where it says you are here, it's X'd out. Then it takes you to the core divisions. There's a storyline builder template under narrative. Next, behavior. And written over that page says major host glitch not responding to voice commands, SOS. Then quality assurance written over that says system is down. If you can see this, get help now. Livestock managing and manufacturing all splattered with blood. And on the final page for park training, it says no one is in control. And there's a very bottom line where they give the contact. It says this guidebook is to stay on Mesa grounds at all times. If found, please contact Aiden at, but the bottom corner of this page is ripped off. And so written over that is circled. It says, try and get. And that's ripped too. Presumably try and get help. I think so. This is something you guys have to actually experience yourself. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's hard to describe. You have to see it. But there's so much that you can really read up on further too to explain about the park. I definitely recommend checking that out. That's at DelosDestinations.com guidebook. So as if this hasn't gone on long enough, <laughs> that's going to do it for our regular episode three review. But the final area is our spoiler section. We are mainly going to be talking about what we think 
could be in store for future episodes. It's still a lot of guesswork, but if you are afraid of potential spoilers, we will see you next time when we review episode four, The Riddle of the Sphinx. So on episode one, we broke down the upcoming titles for one through five, but we hadn't known what six through ten was going to be. They have now released the titles for episode six through ten, and we're going to take another crack at it. We already talked about the riddle of the Sphinx and what that could mean. You can go back to the episode one spoiler section for that. Episode five, Akani no Mai, means welcome to Shogun World. We now learn episode six will be phase space, and this is very interesting. In mathematics and physics, a phase space of a dynamic system is where all possible states of the system are represented, with each state corresponding to one unique point in the space. Usually consists of all values and momentum variables. As a whole, the diagram represents everything the system can be and elucidates qualities that might not be obvious otherwise. Now, the reason I think this is interesting, you kind of have to Google that and see they're showing you a representation that looks like a schematic or a drawing. To me, it looks a little bit like the maps we've seen about Westworld and potential paths or narratives that our characters can follow. They relate this to the possibility of chaos theory. Within the apparent randomness of chaotic complex systems, there are underlying patterns, constant feedback loops, repetition, self-organization, and relying on programming of the initial point known as sensitive dependence. So Think about when you play the Telltale video games. I can't think about the technical name for it, but you have the ability to... Make your own adventures. Make your own choices. Choices, yeah. That will change the outcome of the game. So everybody starts in the same place, much as they do with the host narrative scripts. And as you move along and start to make different choices, your games diverge. It might appear to be chaotic. If you were to walk in in the middle of that, it seems like there's no order. And in fact, you can wind up at different endpoints, but only a certain amount. There's a fixed set of variables that you can come to in the end of the game. Westworld could be very much like that. And perhaps Ford's new narrative, Journey into Night, looks so complex and chaotic because we can't see where it's going to end up. But it's still just another loop, one that's a little bit more chaos than the loops we've seen before. Yeah, it makes sense. You can diverge from it. You can make your decision to go right and then make your decision to go left and then do that a couple times. But no matter what, whoever plays the game, they can make all the different decisions. But the end of the game is still the same. Yeah, there's only so many, maybe five different endings that you can wind up with despite all of that free will, quote unquote, the choices that you make. Moving along, episode number seven is titled Le Escorche. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. It's That's in a different language. It means the flayed. It's a song. I never heard of it before, but if you look up the lyrics, if this is in fact what they're referring to, it says things like, take me into the undergrounds of crazed cities. Since there are places as many as dreams as when we sleep, we're not sleeping now. We have some bruises in common. They save us and our mutual interests in our teeth and pieces of skin scattered here and there in random corners. It's how I recognize you. Take me away. We the flayed alive. We bear the marks of abuse. We feel the screws inside. Episode number eight is titled Kiksuya. I'm pronouncing that right. And I have no idea what it alludes to. I tried to look it up online, even in other languages, and I can't find it. I don't know if it's a name. It might be a name because I know that one of the main characters we're going to meet in Shogun World is a beautiful Asian actress. A geisha? And it might, yeah, it might be her. Okay. Yeah, I know we got some names for some of the people we're going to see there, but I don't have them written down. 
Episode nine is vanishing point. And for those of you who are familiar with art, this is a point on a perspective drawing where the two dimensional projections of parallel lines appear to converge. It's what creates the appearance of depth, like you're moving away from something, even though that's really illusion. Yeah. There is no 3D on that page. You're still looking at a 2D page, but the illusion of depth is created by just two lines. Is that similar to our hosts? And finally, episode 10, we said is the passenger, and that may or may not be Peter Abernathy. So much yet to come. We ran super long with this episode. We had a lot to break down, but hopefully you enjoyed it. This was a lot of fun. Clatchers, if you really enjoyed this, let your friends know, tweet about it, or Facebook about it. Let everyone know to listen to us. Also, don't forget, if you're doing some shopping, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and if you're doing last minute, and you need to go to Amazon.com, go to CoffeeClatchCrew.com first. Click on Amazon. We have a link there. It sends you right to the main Amazon page. It just lets them know that we sent you, and it forces them to give us a little bit of money for bringing you there. It's just another way for you guys to give us some support, and this way, it's free for you. Thank you so much again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review. And until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.